So good morning, everyone. My name is Rick Napier, the President CEO at Real People USA LLC, located in California. And uh, it's uh, 5.02 in the morning, 8.02 on the East Coast. And uh, this show is about the voters. And the way I, the reason why I, the, the way I came up with this um, this show format, I've always had a podcast. I think I have a total of 900 podcast episodes between uh, being in business and uh, doing this uh, political uh, podcast. So I'm, I'm not a stranger to talking. In fact, I probably can talk the entire 60 minutes uh, this morning without any type of break. But the reason why I decided to do this uh, this format here, this live radio format, is because I saw so many uh, people, so many voters that did not have uh, some understanding about what's going on in our political process. And, and, and years ago, it really didn't matter. It really didn't matter who won the election. So let's say if a Democrat won, regardless of what the position is, whether it's a local office or up to the presidency, let's say a Democrat won. Well, the Republicans would be upset for a couple of weeks, but life would go on. Life would go on. You know, it wouldn't be any any big deal. Um, you know, everybody would return to work. Uh, people would return to take vacations and see their kids uh, progress through school. Uh, have you know weekend barbecues with the family. You know, Democrats and Republicans could still have family events, and it the subject wouldn't even come up that much. But Fast forward to 2009, when Obama became president. And since then, every election, at least when the Republicans lose, have major consequences for the country. And when 2016, 2017 uh, election time came and Donald Trump won, you know, that was an amazing period in our country in terms of uh, the country, uh, people going back to work, uh, people making money, uh, gas prices dropped, uh, nations around the world re respected us. And I'm not saying that America was trying to be a bully or anything. It's just that when you have when you're the super superpower, you know, you have some responsibilities and uh, people just kind of respect you and I don't believe that we took our, our strength uh, uh, or, or took people took advantage of people because of our strength I just don't believe that and you're talking to a person that spent 12 years in the military six of those years I was a combat vet so I don't believe that we took advantage of people in fact I believe we helped many countries um, and then also know that maybe some bad things happened and maybe there were some tricksters behind the scene um, you know behind some of these uh, these uh, these war events I do believe that I have some experience 
with some things when I was in the military that wasn't too cool that I found out about. But all in all, the United States uh, was is a great place to, to live. And then Donald Trump became the president and just made it better. And even Democrats enjoyed uh, their lives under Donald Trump. Maybe they, they did not like his orange hair. Maybe they did not um, like his tone or personality, which I had no problem with, by the way. I'm just letting you know. But Democrats had great lives under Donald Trump. Everyone was working, uh, even many uh, performers who um, who previously, you know, they they were uh, enamored by Donald Trump. They loved him. I'm talking about rap artists, some you know, musicians, uh, sports athletes. You know, when Donald Trump came into office, you see, you saw some of these people start to turn on Donald Trump. But the fact remains, they liked Donald Trump for all those years in the late 80s and the 90s. Because when I was a club DJ in San Francisco, many of these artists, they all wanted to be like Donald Trump. I think I saw a report and I saw a list of songs from the late 80s to early 90s. And up to 2005, I think Snoop Dogg mentioned Donald Trump in one of his rap songs in 2005 that um, that he had he had something positive to say uh, about Donald Trump. But when Trump became president, you saw these people begin to, uh, you know, become turncoats. But like I said, the record on the record, these people loved Donald Trump when he was a uh a TV mogul, a real estate mogul. They loved his lifestyle. So that takes us to 2020. And uh, most people know the election was stolen. Yes, it was stolen. There's no way that um, Donald Trump could be up 700,000 votes in Pennsylvania and then lose that election. That was not only historic, uh, in an abnormal way, but it was statistically impossible. There was a guy, his name is Jovan Pulitzer, and I don't think he's related to the Pulitzer Prize person, but this guy is a statistician to the max. This guy said with all the, all the factors involved in Trump being up in Arizona, in Georgia, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin and Nevada, just to name just to name the top states, I think there was maybe one other state where Trump was up, and then magically he lost. He said, Jovan Pulitzer said that that would be the likelihood of that happening would be one out of one, and he had something like twenty six zeros behind that one. So one divided by one and 26 zeros, which is some number that doesn't even have a um, like billionth, trillionth, gazillion. I mean, it, it, the number doesn't even exist. That's how statistically impossible it was for, for, for let's go Brandon to win. And the 2020 election brought 
uh, some bad things for America, and we are experiencing those bad things now. We are we see what's happening uh, to the country, and uh, and it's not good. So, with all that said, like I said, elections typically did not have uh, any major consequ- consequences until now. So now we see. Uh, all the problems that we're having with gas prices, we, we see the problems we're having with uh, the supply chain shortage. We see problems with uh, <clears throat> school districts starting to become like vampires and ghouls. That's G-H-O-U-L-S <clears throat> with them trying to teach uh, CRT, the uh, critical race theory. And by the way, Real People USA, we do have a CRT. It's called Capitalism requires thinking, and you will hear more about that tomorrow morning. So now, when uh, the Democrats stole the election, now you see the consequences of all these things that Republicans have been talking about in terms of keeping taxes low, uh, keeping our Constitution strong and following the Constitution. You see all these things that used to be, oh, that'll never happen. Now you see the reason why Republicans were were always talking about, you know, Second Amendment, the Constitution, the rule of law. And now we have a Supreme Court justice that uh, replaced, I think, Judge Breyer. I think her name is Katanji Brown Jackson. I think that's her name. She's, she's an admitted leftist. So our Constitution has been weakened uh, by this uh, new Supreme Court justice. And, uh, you know, I think we still have somewhat a majority because you never know what the, the chief justice, I uh, can't even think of his name right now. Uh, you know, the, the one guy that went turncoat on, the, on, on Obamacare. I uh, can't think of his name right now, but you know who he is. So elections do have consequences. And now even Democrats are saying, wow, you know, even with Donald Trump, we had we could do anything we wanted to do. You know, maybe we didn't like his orange hair or his tone or his uh, his, his bravado that he displayed. Uh, and some people didn't like. I mean, I didn't care. I, I, I loved it. In fact. Trump reminded me of a, of a colonel that uh, I used to work under when I was in the military. He just kind of speaks his mind and uh, it, makes, it makes things happen. He, uh, Trump also reminds me of this uh, female uh, C, uh, CEO and vice president I used to work for in corporate America. And she was like, uh, you know, hard as nails. And, and, and well, I mean, to me, she was fine. But others used to say, oh, she's so hard as nails. And, uh, you know, some other type of derogatory comments. But as far as I was, I am concerned, she did a fine job. Yes, she did. So now, like I said, Democrats are even saying, oh, we want Trump back. Yes, we want Trump back because, um, you know, our lives have been uh, up, 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 up. Our lives have been turned over. You have rappers that are now wanting Trump back. I recall I was in uh, Northern California in a city, 
and I stopped to get some gas when it was two ninety-eight a gallon about two years ago here in California. And this guy was working behind the, the counter and he didn't have a mask on when it was when you're supposed to have one on. I didn't have one, so I didn't give a damn. But you know, I asked him, I said, Well, what what's going on with you? You're new. I haven't seen you here before. The guy told me that he was a, a person that had a, a you know, like a little rap gig. He was doing performances and and uh, you know, making CDs or not CDs, but you know, making music. I'm not sure how people when they say they make music now. It's probably MP3 music. Uh, as a club DJ, I recall just vinyl records, and I used to receive uh, um, dino, uh, uh, vinyl records from this company called The Pros out of Brooklyn, New York. I used to get uh, you know two sets of every of every song for DJ purposes. But this guy, he said, yeah. This, this whole mask and COVID thing is a joke. And he's losing, he, he used to make something like, he used to make six figures in his rap gig. And now he's working at a uh, gas station, supermarket, like a, like a, like a, like an AM PM or something, or, or, or Fast Buddy. I think they have those on the East Coast. And uh, so he was sick of it. He was sick of it back in May of 2020. And again, you know, May 2020, that's when people were starting to go hardcore. These communist politicians, they were starting to go hardcore. He didn't have a mask on. I didn't have a mask on. It was all good. So that's what I'm talking about in terms of uh, we need to uh, keep the voters informed. And then unfortunately, it hasn't happened. And the reason why I say unfortunately, because we have these uh, these political organizations. One is called, I think it's called the RNC, or it's it's the National GOP um, organization that used to put out information for all the candidates to use as talking points. This is back in the days of uh, Newt Gingrich. You know, the RNC used to uh, put out talking points and all of the GOP candidates could follow those talking points and we could, you know, communicate with voters on the same page. And then that vanished. And then state elections, those state election officials used to also follow the RNC uh, talking points and, and, and campaign points. And with some modifications for, for local uh, races, that vanished. So what you have is you have hundreds, if not thousands of politicians, candidates, political candidates, doing whatever the hell they want to do. And that's not, I'm not disparaging the political candidates for doing whatever they want to do. They're not getting any guidance. So they're doing whatever they want to do. They're saying whatever they want to say um, that, that makes them uh, feel like the voters care about their races. But there's a problem with that. And I think if the GOP is un incompetent, I can I can go with being incompetent. I mean, you know, having competence is not 
something that uh, just comes comes with the territory. Let me tell you, just look at who's in office right now. I mean, uh, he's not even in charge. I believe someone else is in charge uh, of the White House. But if it's incompetence, I could go with incompetence. But if the reasons why all these candidates do not have any direction and it's deliberate, deliberate, I believe that's that's a that's a crime. In my opinion, that's a crime that we're having here in our country. And just to give you an example, there are let's say there are 1000 candidates. It might be even more if you look at local races, but let's say 1000 candidates. And if each candidate decides to uh, run based on his or her own feelings and the way they want to do it, the method they want to do it, then you have 1,000 ways to run for office. That's right. 1,000 ways to run for office. And guess what happens? When you, when you have 1,000 ways of explaining something to the public, that's a problem. That means that, that means the people are confused. You have a candidate, let's say in Santa Monica, California, is is talking about they're using their talking points, and then you go twenty miles away, twenty miles south to uh, Irvine, and you you have a Republican candidate saying what he or she wants to say that could be some of the same but slightly different. And it's those differences that cause people to be confused. And, you know, I, so I see a lot of this happening with the Republican candidates. Another example, let's say, for instance, you have a store. Is it easier to sell five items or is it easier to sell 25 items? Well, as a, as a business manager and as a, an economics uh, graduate, Myself, I'll tell you that it's easier to sell the five items unless you have a, a major, if you have major popularity or major, uh, you have a major brand like Starbucks. Starbucks probably has probably 105 ways of making coffee. Now, it works for them, but it does not work for the political candidate that should have maybe three to five different things that they that they're running on and that's why i say if the if, if the national gop the rnc and these uh, state political organizations are doing this on purpose then they are succeeding at destroying the republican candidates chances of of winning their election so Real People USA, we do three things. We inform the voters about uh, campaign systems, tricks, and gimmicks. And we're going to talk about a few of those today. We also are a forward-thinking political, uh, you know, organiz- not organization, but consulting group. And we also talk about business topics. And we promote candidates we believe are not rhinos nor grifters. So the first thing I want to talk about, um, that's my intro I just did, uh, the 22nd or you know, 25 minute or 22 minute intro. I want to talk about the LA County mask mandates. Now, 
the Supreme Court, I think her name was Karen, not Supreme Court, but a Florida uh, federal judge just deemed the mass mandates on airplanes, trains, uh, Uber, Lyft, uh, mass transit systems to be unconstitutional and was and it was struck down. Just think about that. The CDC, which is not an elected body, they, they are a private organization, the last I checked. They don't uh, make the rules for American citizens. They have nothing to do with our, our constitutional rights. And, um, and we did not elect any of these people at the CDC because they don't run for office. They're not political figures. Yet they believe wrongly that they can tell <laughs> the American people what to do in terms of... Um, you know, mass mandates. Now, they may be good at talking about, you know, infectious diseases and, and, and things happening. And a lot of people now are starting to even doubt that. Okay. They're starting to, to doubt the legitimacy of the CDC. Really, they're starting to doubt it. But, you know, the, the people in Washington, D.C. is looking for guidance from the CDC about what to do and the CDC and uh, Mr. Fauci says oh we need to reinstitute mass mandates and I'm like dude we're we are in the United States of America you know rules and laws and policies do not uh, originate at the CDC and everybody knows by now that these mass mandates were were a bunch of crap I tell people, if you're wearing a mask and you can smell the hamburger that I'm eating or you can smell nail polish when someone is polishing their nails with the mask on, then the mask don't work. And that's because the, um, the, the, the sort of uh, you know, virus molecule, molecules are typically one thousandth of most things that we smell. So if you can smell the hamburger, you can smell uh, nail polish, you can smell just about anything in your normal uh, daily activities with the mask on, then guess what? That virus, if, there, if that's possible, if, that's, if, the, if the problem is that large, that virus is getting right through that mask, just like as they say, a mosquito gets through a chain link fence. So, 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 so the hell with Fauci, the hell with the CDC. So L.A. County decided yesterday, April 21st, to, reinst to reinstate the mask mandate on public uh, uh, transportation systems. Like if you, if you fly out of LAX, you have to wear a mask inside the airport. If you ride on the MTA, which is the uh, bus and subway systems in Los Angeles County, you have to wear a mask. If you're riding with an Uber or Lyft or taxi, you have to wear a mask. Now, see, that's just totally messed up. And what I want to do right now, I want to read... Some of the, um, I want to read some of the people who are behind this madness. Uh, 
if I can find it. And it's just crazy. So again, this is the live show and oh, today is Earth Day, whatever the hell that means. Um, so I may or may not be able to find this thing quickly. But if I do, I will tell you something. I will tell you what's going on with, with things. Well, it looks like I can't find it as fast as I would like to find it. But um, if I could find it, I would give you the names of the L.A. County Board of Supervisors that passed this atrocious uh, mass mandate. And um, I would tell you that uh, I would give you their names and phone numbers. And that's what I'm looking for. I thought I had saved it someplace, but I guess not. But if I find it, I will definitely tell you who these people are. And I'll give you their phone numbers. So if you don't, if I can't find it, just look up the L.A. County Board of Supervisors. And their phone numbers are there. And you can look up their names and phone numbers. And uh, you will find who came up with these, uh, these, uh, these uh, decisions to reinstate the mass mandate in Los Angeles County, which is a total joke. Joke. So even Newsom and his esteemed brilliance, he figured out that, okay, it's time to drop the mass mandates um, you know, and some of the vaccine stuff for, you know, vaccine passports, vaccines for kids, vaccines for dogs, vaccines for uh, butterflies, all that kind of stuff. But L.A. County decides to, decided to keep going. So the next topic I want to talk about is how Republican incumbents and candidates try to scare their opponents out of the race. Uh, they, want, they want them to quit. Um, and they use these fundraising dollars that they have received. Now, this came to me from Heather Vernillo. She's running for... County Commission. She's running for the County Commission, District 4. I believe there are five or seven county commissioners in Pinellas County, Florida, which is the same place where Governor DeSantis was born and raised out there in Dunedin, Tarpon Springs, uh, you know, the Clearwater, St. Petersburg area. That's Pinellas County. So she sent me an article, I believe it was from FloridaPolitics.com, and I'm going to take a sip of my warm substance here. She sent me this article, and this article talked about the, the race uh, for county commissioner, and I believe uh, there's about uh, maybe three, five, three to five people who are running, and Heather Vernillo is running, and she's running against career politician Dave Eggers. And uh, so FloridaPolitics.com mentioned that Dave Eggers had something like, uh, I don't know, 60 or $70,000 in the bank for his campaign. And, and it talked about how much money that uh, Heather had in her, in her account for her campaign and this other guy that's running. So what the article basically was saying <clears throat> is... 
you know, Dave has all this money and, uh, and he can, and he can, he can spend it on, on campaign, you know, marketing and political marketing. And, uh, and Heather has much less than $70,000. So I want to tell people what this means. Okay. So I don't think the, the, the article had any, uh, malcontent. I did not, I don't think that, that the article had any type of, uh, thing where, where Dave is like, Hey, let's send this article out to people and let's tell people where I am with fundraising and, and where my opponents are with fundraising. And Dave is the incumbent. He is, the, he is the sitting, uh, county commissioner in district four, which is Tarpon Springs. Uh, Safety Harbor, Oldsmar, Dunedin, Palm Harbor, and I hope I didn't miss uh, a city. There's a lot of other little towns in there too, but those are the top five. And I'm from the area. I know the area very well. I used to hang out and I used to party and I used to go across the Howard Franklin Bridge and the St. Pete and I used to go over the Courtney Campbell Causeway uh, over to uh, Clearwater. So I know the area. I'm born and raised in Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater, uh, Bradenton, Sarasota. I know the area like the back of my hand. So, um, so this article that that is written, I want to tell people what that's about. Okay. So again, I don't think the the the, the, the editor of this FloridaPolitics.com article had any uh, ill will toward Heather and the other opponents. But what the subtle message is, is, you know, if you don't have an, if you don't have the same amount of money as Dave's $70,000, why are you in the race? That's the subtle message. And again, some of these articles that come out, again, I don't think there's any, any ill will from this article, but politicians will use articles like this. To tell their opponents, why are you in the race? Why are you wasting the voters' time when I have $70,000 and uh, you only have, let's say, $7,000? I have 70, you have seven. Why are you wasting the voters' time running in this race? Don't you know I can outspend you in marketing and marketing and campaigning and, and buying signs and, and all these kind of things? And I just want to let people know that this whole concept of having more fundraising dollars, especially when the gap is like as close as 70 and seven. I mean, I, I think, <laughs> you, know, you know, the other the other people that are running, they probably can come up with with um, uh, either donating to their own campaign or uh, finding enough people to make up the difference. And, and I know Heather will. So. But the intent of the article is to scare the other candidates who don't have $70,000 to get out of the race. Okay. Now, on the surface, people may say, and I hope people understand what I'm talking about here. On the surface, people may say, well, Dave has 70, Heather has seven. So that means Heather automatically lost. And I'm telling you, not so fast. See, fundraising and just, you know, spending money for, for ads and signs and stuff, 
Okay, so that's like the traditional way of doing it, but there's another way, which is meeting the people, which is connecting with the people. You see, fundraising dollars do not always correlate to a victory in, in an election. It's not, it's not a one-to-one -one correlation. You know, I have the most fundraising dollars, so therefore I win. And there have, there have been many instances where candidates had millions of dollars in their campaign and they spent millions of dollars running for elections and they have lost. And I can just look to Maryland and the 2020 congressional race where a candidate had $8 million and lost. So, um, so it's not always true. But I want to let voters know that uh, you want to elect a candidate who uh, it can, can truly represent you. Now, there have been a lot of candidates on the Republican side that have not represented their, their constituents, and especially candidates who are Republicans. Any Republican that has voted for the, the mandates, for the shutdowns, for the business restrictions, that Republican has broken the code. That Republican has broken, I like to call it, the bro code. Seriously, how can a Republican candidate, or not a candidate, a Republican uh, incumbent, someone sitting in office, vote to shut down small businesses? That's like anti-Republican. That's uh, borders along the lines of being a rhino. That borders on the line of being a Democrat. No Republican should shut down uh, small businesses. Businesses are the lifeline of the, of the United States of America. Businesses move products and services. Businesses hire employees. And uh, that is, that is uh, one of the things I want to let people know. That, again, with this fundraising thing, don't look at these numbers. Especially if the person leading did not represent you as a constituent. You know, you need to you need to get that, you know, make a decision to get that person out of there, especially if these these incumbents are running for more than uh, two terms. They're running for more than two terms. I just got to go back to the Dave Eggers situation. He's been in a political office. He's been, I think, the mayor of Dunedin. He's been on this council, this seat. So you know, he may have been in this uh, this political uh, situation with these seats and these public servant positions for 20 years at least, maybe more. And, you know, I know that he has a fallback. He's, a, I think, a real estate broker. Or he's involved in the real estate industry. So he has options, you know, and, uh, you know, good for him. But, you know, what happens when these people stay in office uh, too long? You get, your, you get your Mitch McConnell types. You get your Nancy Pelosi types. You get people who say, yes, I'm a senator. I'm a congressperson. I'm a city commissioner. And I've been in office for 12 years, 16 years, 20 years. A lot of these politicians believe that these, these regions that they serve, like the Pinellas counties, 
the Los Angeles counties, the uh, San Francisco's, the, the governor of California, they start to believe that this is their land. It's, it's their property. This county is mine. And I get to decide what happens here. I get to decide, you know, who becomes a player in my county. I get to decide who becomes a player in my state. It's mine. It's no longer the citizens or the residents of these uh, of, of these of this country or these these regions, these counties, these states. The politician starts to believe they own it, and they begin to make decision decisions that benefit them either directly or indirectly, and that's why you want uh, your your local public servant or state or governor to serve no more than two terms two terms and you, you finish those two terms and then you go back to the economy you created see the problem with these people that stay in office longer than two terms they they begin to say well you know i'm getting you know hundred thousand hundred and fifty thousand dollars i'm talking about the congress or maybe a, a county position. I'm getting $120,000 a year for this job. And I can get a great retirement package. So a lot of these uh, people that stay past two terms, they look, they're looking at, if I just stay, you know, three to five terms, maybe six terms, I can retire with a public pension. And so and when that happens, a lot of these politicians, these public servants, they began to put their interests first and screw the residents, screw the citizens' interests. And that's what a lot of Americans are starting to see now across the country. That's why I believe uh, America will, say, will start to say, hey, you've been in office too long. How did this happen with you in office? And I do believe it's probably going to come down hard on Democrats, more so than Republicans. But Republicans have, uh, you know, dirt on their hands, too. OK. And then finally, about the subject of, of just serving two terms. If that politician after two terms knows he, he or she has to return to that economy that they created. That they have to return to that economy where they passed legislation. You know, in other words, if you passed crummy legislation that benefited you as a Republican instead of your residents, and you got small businesses hurting, you got streets falling apart, you got flooding, you have, uh, you know, robberies and crime is high, and and you passed those, legisl those, those legislative measures. Well, guess what? After two years, now you have to go out and, and live and work under the conditions that you created. On the flip side of the coin, if you're serving just two years and uh, you know that after two years, you have to go back to work, you have to go back to working as an electrician, you have to go back to selling real estate, then you're not going to pass laws 
that benefits you as a public servant. You're going to pass laws that benefit the entire community because after two years, you will have to live with those measures that those legislative or, or, or county measures that you passed. See, and that's the, the logic. And I think more and more people uh, will start to um, uh, see it that way. And I want to thank Heather Vernillo for bringing that up because before, like I said, you know, 10, 20 years ago, most people did not care or pay any attention if their public servant uh, was in office, you know, two terms, three terms, four terms, you know, people like Mitch McConnell, McConnell that's been there for a long time, they didn't care because their lives were not being destroyed. But now with people's lives being destroyed and businesses being hurt by by let's go Brandon and then, and now you have even Republicans beginning to uh, you know dance the same dance as Democrats well no you got to go especially if you are if you are a Republican and you're doing that kind of crap you got to go you've got to go so the next item I think I have like maybe four or five and I got maybe uh, 15 minutes to do it. There's an assault underway uh, to make Texas and Florida like California. That must be stopped. And some of it has to do with, um, uh, you know, the, the illegal alien uh, situation where, you know, Brandon is trying to flood uh, Republican areas with illegal aliens. And and I, I'm not sure if this is true, but I think it is true. When the illegal alien comes in the way Brandon is bringing them in, they get full right. They get full voting rights. I believe that's what's happening. I will check to make sure. I will correct myself if I'm wrong. But I believe these people, when they come in with this type of uh, uh, asylum status, they get they get money, they get housing, and they also get to vote. And this is why we can't have any rhinos in Texas. And Florida, we need all Republicans to be true Republicans. So let's move on to the rhinos and the grifters. Okay, so if you want to know about fundraising for your uh, candidate, let's say you think your, your candidate is a grifter. So let's define what a grifter is. A grifter, and this phrase came up, uh, gosh, about maybe two years ago, a lady in Arizona started using it. And, uh, I, and I heard about it, and I wasn't really sure what it was until 2020 when I saw a lot of grifting going on. So what a grifter is, at least in the context that I'm using it and the context that was explained to me by this uh, lady in Arizona, is the grifter wants the donor money. And the, dip, the, 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 the grifter mostly does not have any plan to win the election. They really just want the money. So they will you know, run their campaign. They will ask for donations. And uh, they really have no plan on winning. And they do not, some of them don't even have a desire to win. Because the grifting money is so, so large. There are so many, there, I'm not going to say how many grifters out there, but there are many. There are some grifters that um, 
are getting millions of dollars in donations every election cycle. So why would you want to run for office and take a pay cut when you can grift at 500, 600, a million dollars, two million dollars, five million dollars per year? So you see the logic in, in what, the, what grifting means? Why would a person run for Congress? Why would a person run for, for state office or local office and, and, and lose the opportunity to grift, to, to get donor money at, 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 a, at levels at $500,000, $1 dollars $2 million? It's happening in California. It's happening in Miami-Dade. Broward, lots of grifting. And when I say grifting, I'm really talking about Republicans now because you know, I can't even explain what happens on the Democrat side. They're, I mean, they get money from big corporations and unions, and Republicans uh, typically get monies from uh, individuals and PACs, political action committees. So this grifting thing is a Pariah. This grifting thing is a is a is a wart on your hand, and what it does, it, it it sort of fakes out the donors. It gives the donors that yes, I have a person that that really wants to be in Congress, really wants to run for the state office, and uh, and I, so here's my fifty bucks, here's my one hundred dollars, here's my one thousand dollars, and that grifter sometimes. I don't want to run. I don't want to win the office. I just want the donation money. And I'm going to mention this person's name. This, this guy, he's running for California. His name is Daniel Mercury. He's running for California governor. Please check him out. He's not uh, somebody that I work with. It's just somebody that I will vote for. Okay. And he explains how this, how this donation stuff happens. He explains how some of the PACs work. I'm not saying all of them because I don't know how all of them work. But I tell you what, if you get a chance to, to go to Daniel, look up Daniel Mercury. That's Mercury that's spelled with an I on the end. Find out what he is saying about these, these PACs and how uh, some Republican candidates will uh, join a PAC for political campaign support and uh, and sometimes they'll get they'll get quite a bit of money you know sometimes 50,000 sometimes more but the donation has strings attached the donations have a lot of strings attached and I can't go into it today I'll, I'll, I might invite Daniel Daniel to come onto the show soon and just talk about this because the American voter needs to know about grifting. The American voters need to know how a candidate may, that, that had a, 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 a great set of values uh, while running for office. They stood for some strong points. They were like 100% Constitution, 100% Second Amendment, 100% uh, you know, border enforcement, 100% small business. 100% parent and children. And then when they get into office, they flip-flop. But you voted for this person based 
on these platform items that you heard the words coming out of their mouths. Like the actor says. I think it's Chris something. And the person gets in the office and turns into an Adam Kissinger or a, or a, 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 a Cheney lady, Liz Cheney. How do you go from being a uh, pro-constitutional person, rule of law, and then when you get into office, you vote like a Democrat? See, something ain't right about that, folks. Something is not right. So the grifting can happen from uh, you know, candidates getting money and not really wanting to win. They just want the money. And then there's another type of uh, 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 grifting uh, and this is uh, the one that really hurts. This is when, and I'm not sure, I think I call him a donor, a doper, I'm sorry, a doper, Democrat operatives posing as Republicans. And what happens here, listeners and voters, is you think this person is running as a Republican. And this person ends up hurting the Republican Party. There's a candidate in South Florida. His name is Reuben Young. I can bring him on the show and, and he can talk about it in, in, in great detail. But I believe, and this is my opinion, what he's facing, he's running against perhaps uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. If, if those redistrict, redistricting numbers stay the same and boundaries and all that stuff, that's who he's running against today. Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Now, what I'm what I'm explaining, what I believe, my opinion, what's happening is there are Republican candidates who are running in the primary against Rubin, but their only goal is to take Rubin out as a candidate in terms of making sure he does not win the primary. Then the doper, the Democrat operative posing as a Republican moves on to face the incumbent. In this case, it would be, and it may not be Debbie Wasserman Schultz, it may be somebody else, but I'm just giving you an example. So the person that defeats Rubin in the primary moves on to face Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And guess what? The person that beat Rubin in the primary no longer wants to win. So, so Debbie wins because the doper Democrat operative posing as a Republican decides ah, I really don't want to I really don't want to be a Republican uh, candidate in this in this general election so I'm not going to do anything in fact I'm not going to do anything and maybe I got five hundred thousand dollars for not doing anything I mean this whole thing on the Republican side I am so disappointed to hear about it I'm disappointed but, you know, the world is a crazy place. And uh, and some of this stuff, it's probably legal. You can't you can't make legal judgments on 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 people's, uh, you know, uh, behavior. Uh, they do what they do. But I'm letting the voters know because perhaps we can't stop grifting as it appears today. But voters, you can discern you can use your discernment to say i want to go with someone else who's out working 
there's a candidate in Southern, in San Diego. Um, she's working her, her campaign a lot. And I don't have permission to use her name, but uh, she's running for a local office, uh, actually a state office in San Diego, and she's working. And I think that is the, uh, the distinction, uh, how, how you can separate the grifter from the non-grifter. If you see that person working in the, in the community, not just hanging out on social media, come on. Do I have that? I have that. I think I have that topic coming up. If you see a person just hanging out on social media and they're begging for donation money, but you never see them out in the public, that's a big red flag for grifting. You know, you just don't see that. You just see them on social media and, and some of these people, these candidates, I'm talking about Republican candidates, are on social media posting stuff and they're, and they're not even the people posting stuff. They are paying people to post for them. And their posts are like, uh, like, like cutting edge, you know, pushing the envelope type posts where people go, oh, wow, look at that. Look what so-and-so said. And that person's not even posting that. They're just sitting back getting the money from these uh, donation uh, sites, these political donation sites. Um, and this will, so let me, let me close with uh, social media. Social media, in my opinion, is the worst way to use as a primary resource to run for, for, your, for office. I'll say it again. Social media, the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, is the worst way to use as a primary resource to run your campaign. I didn't say as a backup or secondary or, you know, you have a, you have a, a, a social media campaign account. I didn't say that. I said as a primary resource. You know, Real People USA, we've been talking to people now for about a year and some change, probably like like 13 months. And we've tried to tell people that if you want to win your race, you have to be out in the public. You can't hang out on social media and say, woohoo, I'm going to win. I have 10,000 followers. Who cares if your if your congressional district, if your 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 Senate, your state uh, assembly district, your state uh, Senate district, your county board of supervisor district has you know five hundred, six hundred, one million people, and you got ten thousand followers, and you're getting thirty likes on your post. Hell, let's say two hundred likes on your post. Folks, something ain't right. Something's not adding up. And see, and that's the allure of social media. Social media has has this allure that you can make some type of uh, post, you can make some type of video, and you can upload it, and voila, everybody sees it. It's 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 like high definition. It's you behind the camera, and darn it, you look just you look great saying what you say. You look fantastic with, with your campaign logo in the background. But check this out. Less than 1% of the people who will vote for candidates are on social media. Most of the people that you want to vote for you, I'm talking to the Republican candidates, they're working. They don't have Twitter accounts. 
They don't spend all day on Facebook and Instagram. They are working, raising their families. They're working 50, 60 hours a week. They're not there to see your two-minute video. They're just not. The social media is great. There's a, a, an account called Facts Law Justice, and it's a, it's a Southern California group. I think it's a, 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 an attorney or two, several attorneys, and they're pushing back on these vaccine mandates for children, and they're pushing back on vaccine mandates at colleges in California. Now, social media is working for them because it's about a cause. Uh, and running running a campaign, it's kind of like a cause, but you need to do uh, so have some direct contact with people. Okay. Now, the reason why I know that social media is a bust for political candidates because I'm a private sector consultant. I work with attorneys, CPAs, dentists, plastic surgeons, insurance brokers, real estate brokers, and other traditional small business owners that have a unit price or transaction price at $1,000 or higher. I've spent so much time trying to uh, wean these white-collar professionals off of social media because it's not working for their business. And I'm helping uh, the white-collar small business owners and the, the Republican candidates understand that they have to connect with the people and you have to connect with the people in a way especially now with all this cheating that's what i'll talk about tomorrow i will talk about the cheating that is going on in these uh these, these election offices and in and in mostly blue states but even in some red states there are some pockets of cheating that is helping the democrats and we will talk about why it is important for Republican candidates to get out there and connect with the people and get their names, their uh, their email addresses, their phone numbers, and their zip codes and create what I call a pledged voter database. Now, I've had uh, candidates call me within the last couple of weeks as they get close to the primaries and as they move forward in the general elections. They're like, Rick. Um, gosh, I have a concern about cheating, and I'm like, and I'm saying, what? Well, I, I kind of talked to you about that nine months ago. Yes, but how can I, how can I, you know, minimize it? How can I mitigate the election office cheating? And I say, I tried to tell you about that nine months ago. Okay, so now it's starting to become an issue. People are now starting to figure out. That that whatever vote you get in some of these areas, some of these cities, counties, states, is whatever vote they want to give you. So let's say, for instance, you know, it's common for Republicans to say, oh, I'm five points up in the polls. I'm ten points up in the polls. Ladies and gentlemen, Republican candidates, voters, that doesn't mean anything now. Because in some of these election offices, you could actually win the election by vote. But in those election offices, I'm telling you, there's dirt in these election offices. I'm not going to even say it. 
But what I will tell you that if there are 800,000 voters in your district and you have a database where you have uh, 450, 500,000 voters in your database, people who have pledged that they will vote for you, people who have said, uh, Joe, you know, I'm going to vote for you. Here's my $100. And you have email addresses, you have names, you have uh, zip codes, you have phone numbers, and you stack all those numbers up, and those numbers appear to be like 450,000 and 500,000. And the election officials tell you, oh, Sally, I'm sorry, you lost. You only got 237,000 votes. Better luck next time. You know what? Then you have some ammunition with your 450,000, 500,000 voters. And you can go to those election officials and say, let's go to court. Show me the numbers. And I'll show you the people who have uh, claimed they have voted for me. And it's more to it than just that. There's, there's communication, there's strategy, there's working hard, there's working smart. And that's the, the campaign, well, that's the, uh, the business line that Real People USA uses. Work smart, work hard, uh, have a strategy, and communicate often. So anyway, I think I'm going to wrap it up. I think I've covered all the items I wanted to talk about on the first Real People Live show. And uh, we will get this out to people. I believe tomorrow I will start at 6 a.m. Pacific time to give people a little bit of time to wake up. I'm an early, an early bird, and sometimes my speech is off at 5 a.m., but so I'm going to try 6 a.m., and I think more people uh, will be awake. But I just want to let people know, if you, if you are a voter and you hear this, uh, this episode... Please call in and talk about the disgust that you have with your local politician, your local congressperson, your local state rep, your governor, your local assembly person, uh, your school board. Talk about all that stuff because people need to know. And if you feel the same way, it's likely that others feel the same way, too. My name is Rick Napier, the CEO at Real People USA LLC in California. Our website is rpusa.org. Our telephone number is 726-999-0999. You can also email me if you want to be a podcast guest. You can email me if you want to be on our live show. By the way, I do have a donation link uh, on Cash App. Uh, the donation uh, name is dollar sign biz three two one three two one. So if you want to donate a few dollars to keep uh, the show going, the show is going to go any go on anyway. But if you want to donate, because uh, we have a lot of things to talk about as we start this uh, primary and general election run. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening to the first episode. Talk to you later. Make it a great day.